This is the Reclaiming Families podcast. It is our goal to expose the lies that undermine, erode, and destroy the family while discovering and reclaiming God's design for gender, marriage, family, and sexuality. So join us for open conversation about the struggles and joys of reclaiming families. Welcome back to Reclaiming Families. We've got a good episode today. Um, we hope you had a good 4th of July. Hope you celebrate with your family, mm-hmm. celebrated America's independence. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And if you haven't yet done so, please go on Instagram and Facebook and follow us. Uh, rate us and review us on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. Rating and reviewing is how the word about reclaiming families will get spread to more people. So. Yeah, we would love if you would do that. But if we are just going to go ahead and jump in here, we are discussing purity culture today. Yeah, good conversation. It's something that we've been talking about a little bit in our house um, because of a song, a little current event. Current events, yeah. Matthew West just put out a song called Modest is Hottest. Um and he took it down already. And so I'm going to read some of the lyrics. Well, he got some flack for it. He did. He got huge, some flack for it. Like he, he put it out there and then a lot of people reacted to it. I think it was made even USA Today. People yeah. were writing all kinds of things about it. And uh, for some reason or another, I don't know what it was, but he decided to take it down. Yeah. So the, I watched the music video before it was taken down and The whole family was in the music video. It looked like a fun family time. Um, But I'm going to read the lyrics. Randy's not heard the song before. And so I'm going to read the lyrics and we'll get what he thinks. Okay. This is a dad to his two daughters. It's, you know, the mom, two daughters, and dad in the music video. Dear daughter, it's me, your father. I think it's time we had a talk. The boys are coming round because you're beautiful and it's all your mother's fault. And I've been trying hard to raise you up right. No drinking, no smoking, no swearing. But your old man's got a little more advice when it comes to the clothes that you're wearing. Listen, modest is hottest. The latest fashion trend is a little more Amish and a little less Kardashian. What the boys really love is a turtleneck and a sensible pair of slacks. Honey, modest is hottest. Sincerely, your dad. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that as a dad, I like Man, I think you're right on, Matthew. You know, like I like. Uh, I want my daughter to wear turtlenecks. Yeah, like I really like you know the idea of. Uh, it's funny, like I really like the idea of the Amish community. Yeah, I like uh, a lot of their values, and so it's. Um, I don't know who the Kardashians are. Kardashians are very well, but anyways, I'm I'm all about my little girl being modest, and so I'm like I'm like this song is you know it's a great little song, and yeah. Uh, and yeah, I have a sense of why people were trying to, you know backlash against it but i'm like ah, i think you're wrong to backlash against it. I'm like, <laughs> what's funny is like he just put to words in a like i think the word is like maybe satire like a satirical kind of way probably what every dad is thinking it's not like he was actually going to make his daughters wear turtlenecks in the music video they're wearing black it. black turtlenecks that you know are up to their neck in um baggy pants and it's not like he's actually going to make his daughters do that. You know, in other parts, they're wearing very normal clothes. But he's just singing about, you know, his protective heart in a funny way. Yeah. So, from my take on it, completely meant to be funny, to make people laugh. I did laugh. 
I thought it was hilarious. But people didn't laugh. People didn't laugh. People and didn't you want to know. Some people didn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, people on the internet that did not like this, this is what's going to drive us into our topic, were saying that it's because it was a trigger. Like there should have been a trigger warning for people who had suffered past purity culture trauma. Have you ever heard that term, purity culture trauma? You know, I've, I've not heard too much about trauma from purity culture, but I know that you've said, like, you Google purity culture, and the next word that it auto feels is trauma. trauma. That's yeah. right. If you Google it, you can try it in your spare time. Type in purity culture, and trauma will pop up behind it. And there is a lot of writing about purity culture trauma. Um, people have written full books on it. Now, there is a book, I think it's called Talking Back to Purity Culture, um, and I forgot the woman who wrote it, Nav Press published it, but it is a really wonderful gospel-centered book um, about some of the lies that she believed during these movements and like how she's had to apply the gospel to them. But overall, most of this writing is just people hating on purity culture and like talking about how it's ruined their lives <laughs> and it's ruined their sex life. And so I knew that some people disliked it. But it's just, ever since I heard that people didn't like it, it's been really interesting to me. Um, yeah, because you grew up, right? You grew up in the purity culture world. I did. And I, you know, I did not grow up in the church. But around the time, I guess, where people are, where purity culture was starting to wrap people in, uh, I started going to youth group. And so I actually, I went to a, my very first church retreat was called the Purity Retreat. And, you know, that was the first time I learned that I should not have sex before I was married. And it impacted me. <laughs> and I ended up becoming a Christian somewhere along that time. But in my experience, I did all the things that the other youth group girls were doing. I signed purity pledges. I had purity rings. And, you know, I would lose one and I would buy another one really quickly at that purity retreat. I made a box, you know, of my box. And I wrote letters to my future husband. I put those purity pledges in it. And, you know, I was told, give this box to your future husband the day before you get married. And I did that. Um, and I got that box. And, uh, you know, it really is, you know, it's such a sweet gift. It's such an incredible gift that uh, Hillary gave me this box. And it was just full of these letters from a 14-year-old a Hillary, you know, a 15-year-old Hillary. And uh, of her looking forward to um, our wedding night, you know, and and some are, you know, maybe not PG, but uh, yeah, it's a but it's a precious gift to get, and uh, because it was saying, hey, listen, I have kept myself pure, I have kept myself really faithful to the Lord and to you, my future husband, yeah, and uh, and so yeah, sweet, precious incredible gift to get. Yeah, it's funny because looking back, when I started to read those letters, I was like, I am not giving him to giving this to him. Like, it's embarrassing. Where it's like, hey babe, guess what? We're getting married tomorrow. We're going to have sex. And so even in the letters, you can tell that there was an idol in my heart of sex and marriage. Um, and that's some of, some of the church's critique about this purity culture. Um, but I'm glad I was taught those things. And I'm even, I'm glad that I lived them out. Because if I would not have been taught those things, I would not have lived it out. And I did not live it out perfectly. Nobody does. 
But for me, as I got older and started to mature in my relationship with God, my fight for sexual purity began to have a more gospel-focused lens. And my goal in purity was to worship God, not just to have great honeymoon sex. So when we talk about this purity culture thing, it sometimes feels like people just want to get rid of it all. Like, don't talk about purity. Don't talk about purity pledges or give purity rings out. Or, or... talk about it in a youth group. Because someone's going to feel ashamed about themselves, and that is not fair. Yeah. But we're here saying... No, let's talk about purity culture. You don't have to be on board with the rings. You don't have to be on board with the purity pledges. But, hey, we are on board with purity. Yeah, because, you know, as a believer... You can have never signed a purity pledge. You can have never had a ring. Um, and you can think that stuff is super cheesy. But what is not okay is to hate on purity. purity. Right. Um, so this is kind of, I guess, a podcast about you got the baby in the bathwater. How do you get rid of the dirty bathwater without throwing the baby out? Yeah, the baby's purity. and uh, Everything else right. is the... Yeah, that's right. Um so yeah. what? Okay. No, go ahead. Again. So we'll take some time, and we're going to discuss a few critiques of the lost world with this quote purity culture, and then a few critiques of that Christians have had with purity culture, and then some things that we believe are some gospel solutions to it all. Um, yeah. Like I I said, I did some research, and a lot of themes in the lost world were coming up over and over and over again. And I found this research paper from an undergraduate research study um, that I think one paragraph summed up a lot of what I found people believed. So what does it say? Yeah, it says, um, this is by an undergrad research uh, girl at St. John Fisher College. You know, I uh, kind of well, maybe an interesting place to go to, yeah, I guess. but Never heard of it. Uh, it says, here's what she wrote. Due to the lack of control over their own bodies and sexualities, young women fail to recognize and act on their own sexual desires due to the purity movement. Suppressing sexual nature is not only unfair, but in many cases, impossible. Purity movement advocates do not believe the idea that sexual desire and activity is normal for those who are not married. Instead, these advocates force purity ideals on young women to the point that they do not even understand changes within their own bodies during puberty. They're also taught to suppress their sexual desires and replace them with the praise of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I will say, I, I will give her some credit. And uh, and I think the credit that I give her is, um, she talks about the purity culture is, is kind of hindering the understanding of the changes that happen in boys and girls at puberty. Kind of like, hey, your body is becoming uh, able to have sex and create life, and your desires are changing. And, and I do think in the church, that's probably a weakness that we have, is how do you communicate to your children about puberty, sex? And we actually ha maybe, possibly, um, yeah, we'll have some podcasts in the, uh, in the future about that in topic. In the future about that topic. But I think that that is a weakness that the church has seen and that families have kind of experience that parents have not uh, talked about desires and sex and puberty very well to children. Yeah, and, and, you know. and this True Love Waits movement, the quote, purity culture was a result of we don't know how to talk to our kids about this stuff. 
So let's have big events to get people to stop having sex before they're married. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. so, so I'll give her that credit. But here's some things that I think that this girl is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly so far off base. Yeah. And she says, and it's probably it's I, if I remember the rest of the art, like the rest of her research paper, from her personal experience, it sounds like she was carrying a lot of hurt. Yeah. So she's coming from a place of hurt, plus, shame, plus shame. So what are we gonna say? Well, yeah, just the idea of, I think that that's one of the reasons that the lost world is really saying um, we hate the purity culture is because of all the shame mm. that they experience because of their choices and they decision and the impurity, right, that they have or, you know, the, the immorality of what they've done. Yeah. And, uh. Yo, she had a story that she went on to talk about, right? Well, it was a different woman. So this girl just wrote a research paper. There's a whole book. I think the book is called Pure. I do not recommend it. I do not remember who wrote the book. But her introduction to the book is talking about how um, she ended up breaking up with her boyfriend because she didn't feel like they could remain pure um, back in high school or whatever. It was her first love. They made out, and so she broke up with him. Um, but then later on... She went to college, and she just talks about um, being about to sleep with her boyfriend and then trembling in the corner out of fear that like of what she just done. So she like ashamedly kissed him goodbye and then walked to a store to get a pregnancy test, um, and she hadn't even had sex with him, but the shame that she was feeling was eating her alive. And so her thing was like that people should not have made her feel that way. Um, she should feel freedom to do that. But we would say it's probably not purity culture that made her feel that way. That's right. You know, one of the, the ideas that I've been you know learning about it is, is the idea that God has written his commands, um, especially like the 10 commandments on the hearts of men and women that part of the way we've been made in the image of God, you would say. That's right. And God has placed it there. This idea that, um, adultery is wrong. And then Jesus says, no, it's not just adultery wrong, but it's lust is going to bring you into judgment. And so, um, and it's going to cover sex out of marriage and his design. And so the idea is that the culture, we're, they're just trying to get rid of the shame that comes with living how we want to live and doing what we want to do. But the reality is that God won't let you get rid of that shame, that he puts that shame there because you've actually broken his commandments you've actually living outside of his design yeah you've acted ungodly and what you need is is you know jesus he comes and says hey i like you who you know i think the lady at the well you who are living in shame right that shame is to drive you to me yeah and uh, but the lost world just wants to get rid of it they can't and so but they want to fight against everybody who says you know, you should feel ashamed or that was wrong because they think those are the people that are shaming them, but actually it's their own hearts. That's good. And, uh, cause it's true. If you think about it, if you did something that was, had no shame to it, okay. You wouldn't care what people said to you. Yeah. You'd be like, Hey, I'm shameless. If it's, you know, you've I'm, said, I'm, I've done nothing. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you've said before, if it's something to be celebrated or if it's something you're proud of or something that's right, then why wouldn't you just want to tell everybody and have everybody else celebrate it with you? That's right. But yeah. instead, there's this element of shame. It's like, well, 
Where's that coming from? It's coming from your own heart. And it's coming from what God has designed you for. Like he's put his law in your heart. Romans 2 talks about it. And so it's a pretty interesting concept. So basically the lost world, they feel ashamed for their sin. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. The second thing that the lost world kind of, um, their critique of purity culture is found in this one sentence that she um, writes here. Suppressing sexual nature is not only unfair, but in many cases impossible. Yeah, what a strong claim right there that, you know, your sexual nature, your desires are going to rule you and there's nothing that you can do about it. Mm. Like you're, you're actually at the whim of somebody who else is in control of your body and it's not you. Like you are not in the driver's seat of your own body, your own decisions. There's some other part of you that is got full control. And, and yeah. just think about that for a second. Like how often have you had a desire to do something that you suppressed and did not do. <laughs> and it doesn't even have to be sexual, but I'm sure that most people, every person that is post-pubescent um, has had a sexual desire that they've suppressed. Yeah, horrific desires that we've suppressed. And so just a, like that statement, I would like to think if we were speaking face-to-face with this woman, she would say, okay, yeah, I don't... I, I didn't really mean that statement. It was, yeah. <laughs> um, but just you were you were saying it's almost like animalistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were talking about how um, you know dogs hump things because they have this <laughs> desire to hump them, and and it's like what? How animalistic does it make human beings that we just you know are running around um, slaves to all of our desires? Mm-hmm. And it's true, like in a sense that you are a slave of your desires. If you know, if you're falling prey to them and you're too weak to stand against them. But um, also, like, you know, the Bible says again and again, like, it's your, you have a moral responsibility mm. to control yourself, self-control. And, you know, it's possible because men and women have done it for years and years and yeah. years and years and years. I mean, we already live in a world that is full of crime, uh, especially, like, rape and, like, sexual assault. But if it was impossible to, um, you know, put a put an end to these sexual desires or suppress them, then sexual assault and rape would be off the charts, happening all of the time. Now, I will say where she says suppressing sexual nature is unfair. I'm not going to give her that, but I will say I understand how that it feels that way. Sometimes where if you were, you know, single for a really long time or gosh, single your entire life, then it might feel unfair that you have these desires and you don't get to fulfill them, them, Yeah, but it's not unfair (laughs) because we're not promised marriage and we're not promised sex. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of the broken world that we live in is, uh, like they, they see that brokenness and they think, oh, it shouldn't be that way. But it's just reality. We live in a broken world. It's good. So, um, and last is they just don't believe, or the third yeah. is, just don't believe God's design for sex is normal. That, you know, God does have a blueprint mm-hmm. and it's his design for family. And when it's undermined, families are destroyed. And so the blueprint is one man with one woman for one lifetime. 
And there's safety in that. Yeah. And so, you know, she says on here in this sentence that these purity advocates do not think that it's normal to have sexual desire and sexual activity outside of marriage. And I'm thinking like, no, as a purity advocate, I do think that it's normal. And I think that it should not be normal because I do not think that people understand the weight of and, and what the beauty of sex can be when it is done in God's design. So the world does not want to see that there's a right or a wrong. The world wants to see we have what we want when we want it, how we want it. But God says, I have a plan and my plan is the best. And it is in marriage. Yeah, I just think too, what good has come out of having sex before marriage? What good has has there really been? Like, have your desires ever been just fully satisfied? I'm willing to bet no. Yeah. Has there been a lot of heartbreak and destruction of relationships? I'm willing to bet yes. And uh, and so there's a lot of harm that comes upon yourself. Y'all you know, read this book about. Um, you know, sexual sin just creating this wasteland. And that's what happens in our hearts is our hearts just become a wasteland where we cannot trust people. We have been betrayed and hurting and are hurt and broken. And so, yeah, I just, you know, I think of like, hey, what really good comes out of it? Yeah. And a momentary pleasure that doesn't really satisfy. Mm. It's good. So those are some critiques that the lost world has and some of our thoughts about those critiques. Now we want to talk about some of the critiques that the Christian world has. Now these are critiques that came from, you know, that book, Talking Back to Purity Culture, that Nav Press. I wish I remember the author's name. I think her first name was Rachel. Gospel-centered book. But, you know, these are some critiques that she brought up. These are some critiques that the Gospel Coalition, um, one of their blog writers, brought up. And, and some that we also just see in our in our own lives in conversations with people around us um so what are some of the critiques that the lost or that, that the christian world has here yeah I, I think one is they idolize virginity mm. that virginity is kind of like the um it's the end all be all yeah be a virgin if you be uh, if you're a virgin then uh you are pure you're perfect you're a good person and uh, the reality is that the Bible, you know, would, would say that, hey, your virginity is um, important. It demonstrates um, God's design. Your purity demonstrates God's holiness, his purity. And so um, it is of extreme value, but it's not the end all it's be all. It's not God. That's right. Yeah. Because it's, uh, it's not the end all be all. People can be virgins, but not be Christians. That's right. So you, you were talking about how uh, you thought somebody was a well, Christian. Okay. So I, I don't, I don't know where she stands with the Lord, but when I was in middle school, high school, um, uh, Jessica Simpson was about to marry Nick Lachey and she was a virgin saving herself for marriage. And everybody in my school, I remember talk like people would say, like, not everybody, but the people that were talking about it were like, she's a Christian because she's a virgin. And it's just funny because it's like, I don't know that I ever, ever talk, heard her talk about the Lord, but everyone just assumed in that time in my square circle that she was a virgin because, she, or she was a Christian because she was a virgin. And kind of similarly to that, 
Um, I think that I saw a lot of people in my youth group and um, just kind of judge people's spiritual health based on what their physical boundaries with other people were. So if someone was not kissing until they were married, then they were like obviously really in love with the Lord. Um, but then if someone what like made out with their boyfriend or girlfriend, then they were like, they were obviously struggling in their relationship with the Lord. And so your spiritual health um, in this time in these youth groups, a, a lot of times was really focused in on your performance and how you were performing in the area of. Yeah. In this one area. Yeah. Is, so like, it is true. Like your spiritual maturity, it does say, Hey, um, you're not doing these ungodly things. You're becoming more Christ-like, more right. godly. And so in the sense of like, yeah, you're not um, having sex before you're married. But but there were so many things that were like not in the Bible <laughs> that were being put on people. Like we did not kiss before we got married. And personally, I think it's the best thing for most people to do. But the Bible does not say that. The Bible says not to leave a hint of sexual immorality. Right. So that's kind of where how I apply that to our dating life or whatever. But like... If people want to, there there can be just as much lust in someone holding hands, yeah, depending on the person. Issue, so. so yeah, it's just a hard issue. And so we were looking at these actions and equating it with the goodness of someone's Christian life. But um, the second thing was idolizing sex. And gosh, as far as idolizing sex, you know, there's an idolizing of sex that we see in culture um, that's very evident that's like, um, you know, pornography, like the promiscuity side of things. Now, life is in sex. Have sex. It's life-giving. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Fulfilling. Satisfying. But it's almost like this was an idolizing of sex that was like the sex to come. When you wait, you get to have hot, passionate, awkward honeymoon sex. There was actually a Facebook group. Yeah. called I'm saving myself for hot passionate awkward honeymoon sex um and it, it's like that it was there was an idol of sex that still I remember um I remember having a conversation with some of my sorority sisters one day where you know they were idolizing sex uh, this was like a table of like five of us and there was a few of them that were ha like saying things that were probably idolizing sex in that promiscuous way and then they kind of look to me like, well, what do you think about that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, <laughs> me too, just whenever I get married. And But it was like, it, I was idolizing it. I don't know if I described that very well. But those letters that I had written to Randy, you could tell. Yeah. Or that I would written to my future husband not knowing it was going to be Randy. You could tell there was a, an idolizing of marriage, an idolizing of... Yeah, and yeah. I can see where, you know, people who have, if you're, if you're, the whole reason you're being pure is to have what do you call it? Hot, passionate, awkward, awkward honeymoon sex, and all of a sudden you don't get married. Yeah, right. You're you kind of feel like, wow, like I've the one thing I'm craving, and I've been looking forward to is this sex is supposed to be incredible. Mm -hmm. It's just not even happening. Like I'm, I'm just not not getting married. Yeah, and I can see where that would be like. Yeah, you've kind of been lied to. Yeah, and. Uh, you, you bring up one of the points that the Christian world, the critiques is a promise of a healthy marriage and sex life if you follow the rules right. 
Yeah. But the reality is... There is no promise. Yeah, you might have a horrible marriage and... Uh, you might like, not ever get to have sex. Yeah. Like, and if... like no promise. There's no promise that you're going to have a healthy marriage and uh, and great sex. There's just no promise in the Bible that, that it's going to happen. And that's like one thing, you know, just as... I think single women, and I, I think men struggle with it too, but women in general, it's like, there's something that you do feel like you're promised marriage, or when you're married, you do feel like you're promised children, but those things, nowhere in God's word. That's right. And so we have to find our satisfaction in the Lord and not in our life circumstances. And so, yeah, that's another one of the lies that, yeah, I think is probably, you know, driving people to say that they are against um, yeah, or what's the word? Pure culture is trauma. You know, traumatizing yeah, yeah. Is, is that they've been lied to. Yeah. Lies are traumatizing. And you might not have been lied to, but you might have felt lied to. Like I don't, I don't know that any of my youth group leaders told me that. Would have said that. But yeah. You might have taken away that. Oh uh, yeah. Lie. And so I don't put it on them. I put it on how my heart translated the information. Yeah, I understand. Um. So our next one here is just mixed messages about modesty and lust. And gosh, I know that I can make a bet that most youth group girls, if you ever went to camp, if you ever did any kind of summer program, you sat through a modesty talk. And one big issue that I have with the modesty stuff involved with purity culture and the the Christian world critiques of it is that the heart was never targeted. Um... I did not hear about modesty from a gospel lens until my adult life. So I was always told to dress a certain way so that boys did not lust. I actually, um, I remember one time in youth group, a man from a Christian college in the area came and talked to us. And I remember him being so nervous, which, gosh, he should have been nervous because the things that he told us were absolutely mortifying. Um, but he said things like, if he sees the outline of a bra strap in a, a on a girl's shirt, then he will be tempted and will likely start to undress them with their eye with his eyes and want to have sex with them. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I will make sure that never happens. <laughs> like that's disgusting, you creep. But it's like, oh, he's not the creep. And I remember him he, him saying like, I'm afraid you guys are gonna think I'm weird, but all men think like this. And it was like, the guys that were up there were like, yeah, all men think like this. And I, I took from that, and a lot of other women that I talk to now that um, were not in that same session with me, but um, had similar experiences, I guess, began to feel like it is my sole responsibility to make sure that no man has a lustful thought about me, that no man would have a sexual thought about me. And so... Dressing modestly was done more out of fear instead of um, a gospel lens, a heart for Jesus. A heart for, you know, men, yeah. Yeah, it was it was fear, and it w- was kind of communicated in a way that, like, um, going back to the suppressing sexual desires, that it would be impossible for a man to see something like that and not lust. Yeah. Tough talk, tough talk, huh? It'd be impossible to 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 walk away from it. Yeah. Um, and I would say, like, yeah, so it's just the idea of, like, the Lord isn't even, 
it wasn't from a gospel perspective. It was just I don't remember. I'm not going to lust all over you. you know? Yeah, so. I mean, maybe somebody did say something about um, Jesus in that, but golly, that is not what stuck out to the 14 year old girls in that room. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, how should we think about? Uh, um, oh, yeah, so we're talking about. Go ahead. Well, yeah, so as we move into how we should think about it from a gospel lens. Let's talk about the one big church critique that kind of, I don't know, like makes a mess of the gospel view yeah. of it. I think it's your identity. And uh, so instead of, you know, the, the purity culture movement, and yeah, it might not be taught, but maybe it's what's taken away is that, or the ideas that are taken away are, hey, your identity is in your sexual purity. Mm. And gosh, I'm, I would go as far as to say it was taught. Um not in my youth group, this was not taught, but in this movement of True Love Waits and some of the speakers that came from different places outside of my youth group, there were even those activities. Like we had this one activity where there was an Oreo and a bunch of different people licked the Oreo and they stuck it back together and then said, who wants to eat this Oreo? Um, pretty gross. There's the, the rose. Um, Matt Chandler talks about this analogy in one of his sermons, but it, that's not the only place that that was done where, you know, they pass a rose around where people can touch it and feel it and all this stuff. And then it, it comes back and it's all like mangled. And it's like, who wants this rose now? Yeah. And then there's ones where it's like you're gluing yourself to someone. So like I remember this, like there would be papers that were glued to each other and then you would rip them apart and part of the paper would still be stuck to the other paper and then it would get given to someone else. And so, uh, you know, there's just all these things where you're like, if you have sex before you're married or if you're impure, you're giving yourself away. You're giving yourself away. Your identity gets tarnished. Yeah. But it's because it's saying you're standing before God is based on, your purity or impurity. Yeah, and it, it's a poor view of God's grace. That's right, that's right. Because really, honestly, you know, the gospel would come by and say, yeah, you're standing before God is on your ability to perfectly keep the law, imperfectly, or, or if it failed. And so... And no one, like, no one... Yeah, yeah, we were born into a position where we have not kept the law because of what Adam has done. Mm. So um, it's this idea that, uh, yeah, your identity is built on the fact that you are disobedient. You have broken God's laws that he has commanded, and, and he has a right to tell you how to live, and you've disobeyed. But at the same time, Jesus comes and says, I fulfilled the law, I've kept it, and I give you my righteousness so that now your identity is like everybody's in the center boat, but some people who receive Christ, they're in this, I'm with Jesus boat, and he is my righteousness, and that righteousness is imputed to me. Yeah, and so, and so if going back to that Matt Chandler video clip, what I love about it is just that. It's like, you know, he, Matt Chandler said he was there with a lost girl, and um, they hold up the road, you know, who would want this? He said it took everything in him not to stand up and to say, Jesus wants the rose. That's the whole point of the gospel for every reason that you just said, because we are 
Like we have all, we all have a tarnished identity apart from Christ. We're all the rose that's falling apart because we've sinned in, in some way or another. We cannot keep God's law perfect. We cannot do, there's no one good, no, not one. That's you right. Know? So it's like the, the one who has the purity ring on, who has written the letters to their husband, who has, let's just say, never looked at pornography, they're still the rose. They're still the beaten, tarnished, because yeah, you, you've rose. broken the law in some other way, I and mean, you have right. baggage from a, some other thing, you know, and and it's just like we are all in need of Jesus. That's right. And we're in need, in desperate, desperate need of God's grace. That's right. And so that's you know to look at it from a gospel lens. That's one thing is that we would be seeing God's grace and His forgiveness when we do not follow His law. Um, and that grace leads us to repentance when we do not follow God's law. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember exactly if I've said this yeah, in this podcast, but yeah, I think I have with the idea that, yeah, you, you, the gospel doesn't minimize your sin. Yeah. I already said it in the podcast. I don't know. I can't, I can't remember. remember. I don't either. And so, but yeah, I just worth reiterating. Yeah. You know, like the, uh, the gospel doesn't minimize your sin. The gospel says, yes, you are a wretched horrible, disobedient, broken God's law sinner. But the reality is there's a good but in there that that Jesus has come and he has fulfilled the law. Yeah. And he has given you his righteousness. That's good. And uh, so, yeah, I'd say. And, and so it doesn't leave us in our sin to just say, well, I'm going to keep doing what I want to do, how I want, when I want. But it frees us up to say, I'm not going to fulfill my desires anymore. I want to live for Jesus. That's right. And actually, it gives a, you some wisdom too. Of like, hey, you with wisdom, it says, hey, I have these desires to gratify my flesh, but you know what? They're not going to be satisfied in sex before I'm married. They're just not going to be satisfied. I could chase them, but they're not going to be satisfied there. But you know what is satisfying? Is obeying the Lord hmm. and walking with him and finding pleasures in him. That's right. And so it is this thing about people like the Lord is satisfying, but it's by faith in your walk with the Lord. Yeah. And so it's, uh, yeah. So that's a lot of wisdom that comes with walking the Lord with you see and understand that these things don't, they won't satisfy. Yeah. And by God's grace, we are able to follow his commands. We are able to follow his design and, you know, without God, we could be doing these things as just a list of the right thing to do with no good heart behind it, or we could be failing miserable, but God gives us the grace to follow his design, um, and the right heart to do it with. And so, um, yeah, he, he empowers us to keep his word. Yeah. Right. To stay pure. Yeah. And, uh, it completely just obliterates the idea that it's impossible because the Lord says, no, it, it's not only possible, but like I'm, I'm definitely like you're empowered to do it. Mm, it's good. And then you kind of hit on, we need to cling to Jesus as our satisfaction. Like like we mentioned before, um, there's no promise of marriage. There's no promise of sex. There's no promise of, you know, even getting to have sex once you get married. Like tragedies happen. Like bodies are, you know, dysfunction. Sometimes people get married and they don't even get to have sex. 
There is no promise. And so we must cling to Jesus for our satisfaction. Um, that's right. That's right. And I think that's the, you know, it's the gospel component of the purity culture that I think has, it's probably been there, but it's not been emphasized as much as save yourself from marriage. That's good. You know, so. And then the very last thing that we'll talk about as far as um, thinking about purity from a sexual purity from a gospel lens is the motivation for it. And I think that this is what I missed is the motivation um, for the first, the early years of, of my life. Um, and those, the motivations did change as I, you know, loved Jesus more and, and understood more about, um, about God's word and stuff. But the motivation should be to do it all for the glory of God. You know, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. And so that just means that the goal of my fighting sexual sin is not to get the end all be all of a, of a great marriage, but the end, the end is to worship Jesus and to worship him in the day to day of life. So, yeah, but I think that's a pretty good, you know, unpacking of purity culture. Yeah. And so, the, the thing is, too, like when you do it for the glory of God, the byproducts still happen. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, if I'm dressing modestly to the glory of God, then I'm still able to not put a stumbling block in my brother's way. Or if I am, you know, not kissing for the glory of God, I still get that, like, experience as a married person. Um, but I'm not waiting on it as, like, I'm hoping in this as the end all be all. I'm able to say, you know, God, you're good, whether I get it or not. So I get to walk intimately with the Lord. Um, and I think, you know, uh, Lindsay Wilsey's podcast. Yeah, the singleness, podcast Reclaiming Singleness. That's a really good one to go back and visit. And If you're uh, single and struggling with that. But I think that uh, pretty much wraps up today. And so yeah. thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Reclaiming Families. Check us out at reclaimingfamilies.org where you can find our latest podcasts, blogs, news, and events. We look forward to seeing you all next time.